Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. How are you? Good. It's good to see you all. My name is Chris, if we haven't met yet. I'm the teaching pastor here. Um, If you're new with us, it's good to see you. I know that's a tough deal to visit churches, so we're glad that you're here. Um, We are in the second part of a series today that we started last week called Be Prepared. Uh, The reason we're doing this series is because if you're a Christian, I think we've all kind of been in this situation where someone has uh, asked us a question about our faith or made a comment about our faith, and we want to have something to say that will get them closer to Jesus in some way, um, but, but maybe they, you know, they aren't going to read a book and the topic's going to change in a minute, so you don't have much time to respond. So what, what you need in that moment is just some, some anchor points, just a quick response of this is, this is what I believe and why I believe it. Because, because you know, some of your family members, every Christmas or Thanksgiving, they kind of tell the same bad church stories. And, and then before you can kind of get into a conversation about religion or spirituality, they change the subject. Or they'll go, so you believe the whole Bible? Well, yeah, I believe. And then you start talking about it, and it just kind of gets foggy. And then you, you get in the car, and you think, man, this is what I should have said, right? So this is really just a series about how to get the conversation to a place where the conversation needs to be quickly. This isn't a series to answer all the complex questions about faith, right? But, but for those of you who are Jesus followers, I just want, I want you to be prepared. Now, last week, we started this off by looking at a passage of Scripture from Peter. Peter was Jesus' apostle, and Peter wrote a couple letters to Christians, and, one of these, and in one of these letters, he makes the statement that gives us the context for this whole discussion. Uh, he said in 1 Peter 3.15, and this will be on the screen. It says, but in your hearts, what's this one say? Set apart Christ as Lord. Some say revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, the reason I love this verse is Peter does not say, always be prepared to give an answer for every question. Right? He says, here's what you are responsible for. Here's what you must be prepared to do. You must be prepared to give to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, you need to be prepared to answer the question, why have you personally decided to follow Jesus? That is, you need to have a simple explanation as to why you have chosen to be a Christian. And last week we asked the question, how would Peter answer that question? And Peter would have said, my, my answer is easy. If you want to know why I'm a Jesus follower, it's because of the resurrection. I saw Jesus die. Then we had breakfast on the beach later. So I put my hope in that guy. So last week I said to you, as you think about how you are going to be prepared, I recommend that however you want to say it, you figure out how to anchor your hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now as we talk about this more today, I think you'll understand why I think that it's very, very important uh, that you anchor your hope to, to the resurrection. So last week, I left you with a statement that went like this. I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead, right? You know, that's a really good question, Uncle Eddie. But for me, I just believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. That's my hope. That's my reason. And then at the end of last week's sermon, we added a second part to it. I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. But I don't believe it because the Bible says so. It's, it's better than that. 
So now today, what I want to do is I want to pick up where we left off last week, and I want to talk about the better than that part, all right? And hopefully you're a little bit intrigued. And today, I'm going to go really deep today, okay? I'm going to really geek out. I usually try to keep my inner geek hidden uh, just to kind of retain some cool points, but about once a year, I just got to go full egghead because I just love this stuff, right? It's the history and intellectual proofs and reasons behind our faith, and I think I love this stuff so much because I walked away from Christianity for a time because of intellectual questions that I had, all right? And, and the way Jesus brought me back to him was through my mind, through my intellect. My mind was transformed, which led to a transformed heart. So once in a while, I just need to, need to just let the Bible geek out. Today's the day. If you're like, man, that sounds super boring. Um, I'm not really, you know, I'm, I'm not really into that stuff. Well, I'm sorry. Let me just get it out of my system. Then you don't have to worry about it for another year, Okay. But we're all, we're all going to have to think really hard today. But if you'll stay with me, at the end, I'm going to circle back around. And I want to give you a couple thoughts, and then I'm going to tie it, all, these, all these things together as, as it relates to why we believe in Jesus, okay? All right. So now here's, here's the problem. Many of us were raised in conservative churches, evangelical churches, or churches that took the Bible seriously. But, but unfortunately, the problem was this. The way people talked about it, maybe nobody said this, but the Bible was presented us, to us as the foundation for our faith. Okay? But here's something we need to keep in mind. The foundation for our faith as Christians is not the Bible. Okay? Our foundation is not a book. And I know some of you might, to some of you that might sound like heresy. Okay? But don't turn me off right away. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying that the Bible is wrong or anything like that. The Bible's invaluable because it points us to the foundation of our faith, Jesus. But the book isn't our foundation. Jesus was once talking to some Pharisees, and he said this in John 5, 39, 40. He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 1 Corinthians three eleven says, no one, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the, the Bible, the book of the Bible, isn't our foundation. But many people grew up with the idea, whether someone said it out loud or not, that the Bible is our foundation. And oftentimes young people who grow up in the church, you know, they, do, they did the summer camps, mission trips, sing the songs, share their faith, all that good stuff Christian churches teach people to do. They go to church through high school, they go off to college or university, and while they're at the university, university, people begin to try to pick apart or poke holes in the Bible, right? This is very common. And if the foundation of our faith is the Bible, here's what happens, and this happens to many young people. Young people go off to college with this, hey, this is the story of my faith, this is what I believe, and somebody comes along and they pull out like some you know, historical thing in the Old Testament and it's like a whole house of cards. The whole thing collapses, right? Somebody goes, well, you know, fig trees don't grow on that mountain in the winter. Or whatever people use to try to discount the Bible. That sort of thing happens. And well, if they can't trust the thing with the figs, how can you trust any of it? And it all falls apart. And like many people, like me for a time, they walk away from Christianity because somebody told them something about the Bible. Now here's the great news. And this is why I wanted to talk about this. The foundation of our faith as Christians is not the Bible. The foundation of our faith as Christians is not a book. People can try to poke holes in the Bible all day long, and it does not diminish the significance of the truth of what we believe as Christians. 
And you think, well, how in the world can that be? Hang on, because that's where we're going we're gonna to get there in just a few minutes. But first, what I want to I do real quickly is I want to talk about something that you may have never been taught, and I'll explain why in just a minute. Christians take the Old Testament seriously because Jesus did. Okay, that's why we take the Old Testament seriously. The reason we believe the Old Testament isn't because it's in the Bible. The reason we believe the Old Testament is true is because Jesus believed that it was true. When Jesus was on this planet walking around, he made a lot of comments about the Old Testament. And that's the reason we take it seriously. He obviously believed it was true. So let me show you how seriously Jesus took the Old Testament. In Matthew, it says this. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets, which is the majority of the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, he says, I haven't come to abolish the law. I haven't come to abolish the teachings of the Hebrew Bible. I've not come to do away with all the valuable Jewish traditions. I value them myself. I've come to fulfill them. In fact, he would say at one place, anybody that messes with the Hebrew Bible, anybody that messes with that portion, you better be careful. Jesus believed that the Hebrew Bible was inspired. Now, as a Christian, the reason I take the Old Testament seriously is because Jesus took it seriously. The fact that he mentioned many, many of the Old Testament characters or stories is really powerful. For example, he mentions Adam and Eve. Now, the an- answer this question for me. Which is a more compelling statement? I believe the story of Adam and Eve because it's in the Bible, or I believe the story of Adam and Eve because Jesus did? Because Jesus did, right? That's more compelling. We know Jesus talked about Adam and Eve. He talked about the creation story in Matthew 19. He's always referencing the Old Testament. The reason I take the Old Testament, ter- Old Testament seriously is not because it's in the Bible. I believe it because Jesus believed it. My view of the Old Testament is the same view that Jesus had, that it is in the inspired word of God. So since Jesus took the Old Testament seriously, I do too. Because in, in being prepared, our goal is to get people to Jesus. Right? Because you are only responsible for being prepared to explain the hope that is in you as it relates to your decision to follow Jesus. Now, here's where we come to the really complicated part. Everybody still with me? Three people, two, still with me? Yep. So it's at this point in the conversation that somebody who's paying attention will say, wait a minute, hold on. Since the Bible is the source of what Jesus said, aren't you using the Bible to prove the Bible? This is just circular reasoning. So you're using the Bible to prove the Bible, aren't you? And the answer is absolutely not. Right? So here we go. The word Bible actually comes from a Latin term that comes from a Greek Greek term that means books. So you know this, but the Bible is this collection of a bunch of ancient manuscripts. Genesis all the way through Revelations. Now all of these ancient texts existed before they were bound into a book, into the book we call the Bible. So many, many generations ago, someone bound what we would consider Old Testament documents into what we would call the Hebrew Bible. Before there was this Bible, the the Bible we have now, there was the Hebrew Bible. And then as Jesus went around and taught and preached, people began to write down what Jesus said. And so eventually there were these ancient manuscripts we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then after Jesus departed this earth, the generation of people that knew him And were eyewitnesses, and the people that knew the eyewitnesses, they began to write as well. And that's where we get many of the rest of the New Testament documents. But what what we need to know is this. 
All these documents existed before the Bible in its current form. All of these Old and New Testament documents existed before the Bible. The most important ancient manuscripts for our discussion are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now here's a very important distinction, all right? You ready? This is huge. Christians don't believe the Gospels are reliable because they're in the Bible. We think that they are in the Bible because they are such a trustworthy witness and testimony to what happened. So we don't think that they're reliable because they're in the Bible. We think they're in the Bible because they are reliable. Okay? So let me illustrate it this way. Remember in college English, you had to go buy some big fat book of collection, with this collection of short stories, and you had to read like four of the stories. You thought, why did I spend so much money on this giant book? Right? We're only going to read four of these short stories. And your teacher said, oh, but these are the greatest short stories in the world. Now, no one would say, do you know what makes these short stories great? What? They're in this collection of short stories. No, that doesn't make any sense. The reason they're in the collection of short stories is because they're great. They were great short stories before they were included in the collection. In the same way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the testimony of the life and the words of Jesus were included in this collection of ancient manuscripts because they were considered by people who were close to the action and people who studied and compared to be the authentic words of Jesus. And that group knew that for generations and generations, people would want to know what Jesus said and know what Jesus did. So fortunately for us, those four Gospels were collected. In fact, those four Gospels were put together into a document way before they were even added to the Bible. They floated around for 70 or 80 years after Jesus. It was, in fact, it was called the Gospel, and it was a collection of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the Gospels existed before the Bible. Okay? So to, so to sum up, the Gospels are considered reliable because of who wrote them and when they were written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are considered reliable not because they're in the Bible, but because of who wrote them and when they were written. All right? So we're going to keep going, and we'll circle back around and sum all this stuff up, okay? Next. Let me introduce you to a very important date for Christians. And it's a date you may or not be familiar with, but if you could remember one date as a Christian, this might be a good one. It was 70 A.D. In fact, it was specifically August of 70 A.D., in 70 AD, something very, very important happened that we don't study about in the United States. 70 AD was the end of what's called the First Jewish War. The First Jewish War was the first major rebellion of Jews against the Roman Empire. There, was, there were these gangs of Jewish people that gathered together to basically terrorize Roman soldiers within what we would consider the Holy Land. And Rome finally got tired of it, and they sent a guy named Vespasian in. Vespasian was a Roman general, and he began to conquer all the villages around Jerusalem. And finally, all these Jewish rebels decided, well, let's band together. Let's get together. Let's all go to Jerusalem and fight the Romans there. So they stormed the Roman garrison in Jerusalem, murdered the Roman soldiers, stole the weapons, sent a group, of, uh, group to Masada, overran Masada, brought back weapons that Herod had stored for many, many years, brought them back to Rome, Jerusalem, shut the gates, and they hunkered down within this walled city of Jerusalem. So Vespasian comes and he demands that they surrender the city of Jerusalem. They're like, no way, come and get us. So inside the city of Jerusalem, 
For about four or five years, it's chaos. You get all these different gangs vying for power within the city. And then they would unite together and go fight the Romans outside the city. They were these amazing warriors. In fact, they would open the gates and actually go and attack Romans. They wouldn't even wait for the Romans to try to scale the walls. At, at one point, they actually destroyed some of their own food sources to inspire themselves to fight harder. So it's a fascinating story. And this goes on from about 66 to 70 AD. Finally, after a couple of years, Vespasian goes back to Rome to become the Roman emperor. He leaves his son Titus in Jerusalem with the charge, take the city and get rid of these Jewish rebels. So for about two and a half years, Titus and his army build, they dig a ditch. They dig a, they, they dig a ditch all the way around the city. 42 and a half miles of ditch. And they build about 30 or 40 forts all the way around the city to, to try to starve the people out. They try over and over to break through the walls. They try to tunnel under the walls. It's this fascinating story in military history in the first, the first Jewish war. They just can't get into the city. Well, finally, they build this huge battering ram, and they broke through the outer wall. There's three walls altogether. They bust through the first wall. They, they bust through the second wall. Things kind of stall for a while, but then finally in 70 AD, Titus and his soldiers finally got through that third wall, and they invaded the city. And by this time, they are mad. Right? They've been sitting outside the city there, many of them, for over three and a half years now. It's hot in the summers, so they sat out there, some of these guys, two or three summers. In the winter, it gets so cold it snows sometimes. Because they, they've been outside for two or three or four years in some cases, so they are mad. And when they finally storm the city, they accidentally light the temple on fire. The very same temple where Jesus had been and Jesus prophesied and all the things you read about in the New Testament. And everything in the temple that can burn, burns. And finally, finally Titus gets in there, and they completely destroy the city. All right, so here's what Josephus tells us. He was there. He was a friend of Vespasian. He was a Jewish leader, Jewish general. And once he was captured, he kind of turned and became friends to the Romans. So here's what he writes. He says, The slaughter within was even more dreadful than the spectacle without. Men and women, old and young, insurgents and priests, those who fought and those who entreated mercy were hewn down in indiscriminate carnage. The legionnaires had to clamor over heaps of dead to carry on the work of extermination. So this was a big deal. Josephus says over a million people died. Historians say he exaggerated. It was probably closer to four or 500,000 people died on a very small piece of land inside and around the city of Jerusalem. And the temple was destroyed. And here's the significance of that. It meant that ancient Judaism ceased to be in August of 70 AD. No more temple meant no more temple sacrifice. No more sacrifice for sin. I mean, the temple was the epicenter of Jewish experience. It's, it's essentially where they believed in some ways that Yahweh lived. And when Rome took the city and Rome destroyed the temple, Titus went in and he completely tore apart and dragged away the stones from the temple. To send the message loud and clear, you will never rebuild this temple because we believe the temple is at the epicenter of your rebellion against Rome. So today, if you go to Jerusalem, you can visit the Temple Mount, but there's no temple. And there hasn't been a temple there since Titus destroyed it in 70 AD. We don't study this in history, but it was a really big bloody, gory deal. 
Now, why, would, why in the world would I tell you that long, sad, horrible story? Because first, I think we should know that story. And secondly, there is no mention of it anywhere in the New Testament. So there's no mention of the war or the destruction of the Jewish temple in the New Testament. So the question is, why is there no reference to this war and chaos and temple destruction in the New Testament? And the only logical answer is, it hadn't happened yet. It hadn't happened yet. Now here's why this is important for those of us who are Christians. Jesus was crucified in 33 AD. The destruction of the temple happened in 70 AD. So there's 37 years between Jesus' crucifixion and the destruction of the temple. And there's no reference or even insinuation this has happened yet by any of the gospel writers, which means it hadn't happened yet. And here's why that's important. It means that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the teachings of Jesus and the stories of the life of Jesus that we have in the New Testament were all written before the destruction of the temple, which means they were all written while there were many, many, many eyewitnesses to the events of Jesus' life. Now here's what historians tell us. If you ask the question, how long does it take a myth or legend to surface? How long does it take something that actually happened to get added to and changed to the point where it becomes a myth or a legend? And the shortest period of time is about 80 or 90 years. And the reason is because a myth can't develop until all the eyewitnesses are dead. Okay, so for example, back in the early 80s, a college professor named Dr. Norman Geisler had a theory that as Holocaust survivors die, a theory will surface somewhere in the world that the Holocaust never happened. And he said, but it won't surface until the final Holocaust survivors are dead. People thought he was crazy in the early 80s. But what are we hearing now? That the Jews manufactured the Holocaust. And sure enough, as the final Holocaust survivors die, people are beginning to float this crazy idea that it never happened. Now, why did they wait so long? Because this is how history works. You can't change history until all eyewitnesses are dead. So the big argument people make against the validity of the New Testament is that it was written 100 to 150 years after Jesus was around. So it's just a myth or a legend. The fact is the Gospels were written while the eyewitnesses were alive in that 37 years between the resurrection and the destruction of the temple. This is why we take the gospel seriously. We take the gospel seriously, not because they're in the Bible. We take them seriously because of who wrote them and when they were written. And because of who wrote them and when they were written, that's why they were included in our New Testament. Okay, so now let me just make this all super simple and wrap it all up. Here's how to be prepared. Here we go. You see, I believe the Old Testament is true, and I take the Old Testament seriously. Not because it's in the Bible. I take the Old Testament seriously because Jesus took it seriously. Well, you're just taking Jesus ser seriously because it's in the Bible. No, 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 no. Let's not be simplistic. I take Jesus seriously because of what Matthew said about him, what Mark said about him, Luke said about him, and John said about him. And fortunately for all of us, somebody took all those things they wrote and they collected it, and they put it in the New Testament. So let me say it again. I take the Old Testament seriously, not because I can explain it all. I take it seriously because Jesus did. And I take Jesus seriously because of who wrote about him and when they wrote about him. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So even James, his brother, his brother believed he was the son of God. So what would it take for your brother to convince you he was the son of God? I've been trying to convince my brother for a long time. Still doesn't believe me. The fact that James came around, that is proof enough that Jesus had to be the Son of God. So the reason we take the Old Testament seriously is because Jesus did. The reason we take Jesus seriously is because of the testimony of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So to wrap this all up and say it in such a way that we're able to defend our faith, now I'm going to give you this statement, all right? So at your next Thanksgiving, when your crazy uncle starts his thing again, you can say, you know why I take the Old Testament seriously, crazy uncle? Maybe don't call him crazy. Call him by his name. Because Jesus did. Hey, do you know why I take Jesus seriously? No, not the Bible. I love the Bible. I think that is the inspired word of God, but no, not the Bible. I take Jesus seriously because Matthew took him seriously and Mark and Luke and John. The things those guys wrote are in the Bible because they are trustworthy witnesses. So Uncle Eddie, don't discount the resurrection because you feel like you can discount, you know, whatever, six literal days of creation. That has nothing to do with it. So here's a summary statement. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. But I don't believe it because the Bible says so. It's better than that. I believe it because Matthew said so, and Mark said so, and Luke said so, and John said so. That's why my hope is in Jesus. That's why I've chosen to follow Jesus. I love the scripture. I love the Bible, but it's not the foundation for my Christianity. And Jesus in a single event is the foundation for my Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is why I have hope. So now I want you to understand this. I want you in your own way to be prepared. Because in our culture right now, more and more people are moving away from the, from the Bible and Christianity and faith. And more and more college students are having the same experience that some of you had. And I think it's absolutely unnecessary. And the other reason this is important, and then I'm finished, is because some of you right now are having a hard time some of you right now are in a season where God is not answering your prayer and you're beginning to doubt because your foundation, the foundation of your faith has been your personal experience. And I think personal experience with God is awesome. It's just not the foundation. So in those dark moments and in those dark times when God seems to be silent, let me give you some great news. Jesus Christ came into the earth and he died for your sins because he loves you that much and he rose from the dead. That's our foundation. And men and women gave their lives not because of what they believe, they gave their lives because of what they saw and they are trustworthy witnesses. And that's why we believe. And that's why we can believe regardless of what's around us. All right, let me pray for you and then we'll go. Father, thank you so much for the scriptures and for those who wrote them, who in some cases gave their lives so that we could have them. Lord, we just thank you for the confidence that we can have. Father, give us the words and give us the opportunity to take what we've learned and to share it with people who need a little bit more hope. Maybe with people who really want to believe, but somewhere along the way felt like they had to give it up. Father, I pray that you would use us to invite them back into the experience of the grace of a God who loves us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.